Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here this morning. Thankful for another time to be in worship together. And thankful for our students and our college students that are leading worship. Um, I, I don't have to tell you how talented they are. And it's not just musically. We have an incredibly gifted group here. And um, yeah, I hope you all know that. But also, uh, I want to thank Pastor Nick for giving me the opportunity to share with you this morning. Um, and those of you listening online, thanks for being there, even though you couldn't be here. So if you would, open your Bible up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to land there, but we're not going to stay there. So this is going to be a little different than what you're probably used to. We're going to skip around in Scripture, so you don't have to keep yourself there too long. But I wanted to talk about this morning the idea of abandoning emptiness for ambitious hope. Now, if you follow the verses down to a chapter of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, you're going to find probably a subheading category there, depending upon which Bible you have and the translation you're using. Mine has this, and I thought it was kind of interesting, the cure for anxiety. Now, this particular time of the year brings a couple of different emotions to mind about resolutions, about things that maybe we want to change about ourselves. So with the new year coming, I think we're all hoping to change something about our lives, and I think businesses and restaurants have probably caught on to that too. And how do I know that? Well, I've been paying attention to a couple of different ads, and I thought you might be uh, just aware of some of those. Maybe we could have a little fun with this. But one of the first companies I found that I was really kind of shocked they would have a, a New Year's resolution ad was uh, Sleep Number. You know the beds? You know, it says, get the rest you need so you can attack all your resolutions. Now, I don't know about you, but if they build a bed so nice that I don't want to get out of it, I don't know how well I'm going to accomplish any resolutions. Okay, that was just me thinking. Okay, the second company I saw was kind of interesting. I look through Amazon a lot. Any of you guys like Amazon around here? Okay, Amazon. I think I personally keep Amazon in business around Christmas time because I love doing Christmas shopping on Amazon. It just comes to me. It's nice, right? So I looked at their year-end deals, which is always kind of fun to kind of look through those. So I you know clicked a little button and start scrolling down, and the majority of the things I saw on the year-end deals had to do with health and fitness equipment. Like you could buy your protein from Amazon. You could buy your weights from Amazon. You could buy your treadmill, your whatever you wanted, all right there. I think they're trying to help us with a message maybe. The next one was Planet Fitness. You all know we have a couple of Planet Fitness gyms around here, right? Their tagline is, we are a gym for people who don't like gyms. There you go, right? And the fourth one was a restaurant ad. And I don't know how old this is because Applebee's tends to kind of come and go in terms of the advertising business. But they are advertising a group of meals that are under like 550 calories. So make yourself feel good when you go out to eat, right? Eat less calories, maybe work out, do all those different things. But now I also ask this question, that if all these companies are doing this, then how much money are, is actually being spent during this time? So I did a little research on the internet because everything on the internet is true, right? So I went there first thinking, let, let's dig in a little deeper. So I said, well, let's follow the money. Well, last year, between December 25th and December 31st, $130 million was spent on ads towards resolutions alone. Just those things. Now, here were the top five companies in terms of their spending. No surprise, Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem, JCPenney, Hyundai, and Bowflex. Not sure where Hyundai comes from in the resolution category, but it ended up there for $4.4 million just spent in these days for these kind of things. Now, even though advertising is going this direction, we know something about resolutions, and I think it kind of flows in together with this. All the while, advertisers know that about two-thirds of Americans that actually do make resolutions will struggle to keep them. Kind of a shocker there, right? And 80% of those will likely fail by February. 
leaving around 12%-ish that actually finished the year out with that resolution still intact. So at this point in time, you're one of two different people sitting in this room. You're either the first person that says, you know what, challenge accepted, I'm going to make resolutions and I'm going to be part of the 12% that actually keep all of them and do everything that I said I was going to do. The other half of you are probably welling up with anxiety right now just thinking about a resolution that you might want to make. You haven't made it yet, but you're just thinking about it and that gives you maybe a little bit of worry, maybe a little bit of anxiety, maybe a little bit of, man, the odds are totally stacked against us. And I think to some degree, you're right when we just think about ourselves. But I think the Lord Jesus Christ and God himself gives us ambition and gives us hope that is never failing. So while you're there in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe this in Scripture, like a lot of other people do, that this sermon was the greatest sermon ever preached by the Lord Jesus. Oswald Chambers observed this, that the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identifying with Jesus Christ. But the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way in us. I thought that was an interesting statement. So let's read God's word together. If you don't mind skipping down to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, let's follow along and listen to what the Lord says. Jesus is speaking and he says, This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worry? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to continue to teach us. Father, we're grateful for these moments, grateful for times of reflection, grateful for times of, Lord, thanksgiving for what all you've done for this particular year. God, as we set our sights uh, on next year, Father, I pray that we not get too far ahead, that, Lord, in these moments right now, that you would focus our mind, that you would focus our heart on what you'd have for us in these moments. God, so that we can move forward, for it is in your name we pray. Amen. Now, we would be doing you a great disservice if I just plucked this passage out and we basically just said, hey, just don't worry about anything, right? Just walk with the Lord and everything will be fine. Well, there's a couple of definitions that Jesus throws in before this that I think are really important. When he starts talking about our ambition and what we should really be longing for in terms of this future hope, he defines a couple of things that I thought might be interesting for you. So he questions the idea of a treasure and what that is. If you back up a little bit in scripture, you can find that because we find that treasure guides the heart. So he tells us to seek the treasure that is eternal. Seek the things that moth and rust will not destroy. Put your mind and heart on that sort of treasure, not the stuff that's here, not the stuff that's earthly that will just quickly fade away. He also deals with the idea of vision and how vision directs the body. And he tells us to set that vision on the light of the Lord. 
And not to look ahead and see other things that are earthly minded, but actually look ahead and see the Lord. And the third thing was worth. Worth that leads to who or what we are following. I think that's an ultimate key to a lot of things we're about to discuss. In order to determine what a resolution looks like in your mind, these three things have to be very clear. You have to be very clear what you're after. What sort of treasure are you chasing? Then the vision to how to get there. Then ultimately, what value does it bring to your life? Because I think value is a big deal. So after he moves on from this, he goes quickly into the idea of what does ambitious hope look like? Well, point number one looks like this, that new ambition can only be driven by internal change. And I route you back to the verses that we just read from Matthew chapter 6, verses 34 or 33 through 34. It says this, But seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But now if we read this quickly, yes, we see what we're supposed to see, sort of. But we've got to go back to the Greek to find something that's kind of interesting. The word here used for worry it has a connection to the idea of anxiety or being anxious. And the Lord Jesus is asking us to flee from paralyzing anxiety by understanding that there is something here that's been misdirected, a notion here that's been misguided. In fact, that you and I are caretakers of ourselves. I think according to Scripture, that's a misguided notion. I think you and I are, yes, we are caretakers to a degree, a very small one, but when we really look deeply at things, we find that the Lord really cares for us. That he's the one that really provides for us. That he's the one that really gives us all we need. And maybe even a lot of the things that we want. So understanding that I think is a big key here for internal change. Okay? But now watch this. I thought this was interesting. Because when most of us hear anxiety, we think of a certain feeling. Now others in this room, you struggle with a different set of anxiety. Anxiety that, that actually needs professional help. So understand, I'm talking about the first anxiety I'm mentioning not necessarily the, the one that needs professional help, okay? So I want to be very clear when I say that. But did you know this, that in the last 10 years, that 54% of women and 46% of men have experienced anxiety to the point that they would actually term it a disorder in their lives? Isn't that interesting? That a time in, in, in 2018 when we live, that anxiety is on the rise. I was at a, a crew event uh, um, on, on campus. We were in... You know, a room at um, what I still call Commonwealth Stadium or Kroger Field, you know, depending upon you know, who you are. We were in this room talking about you know, students and college students and what that looks like to send the gospel into a very dark place on this campus. And the athletic director was, was speaking very directly to us about what this means for the gospel to go there. And he said one of the things that he's seen over the last five years that has increased every single year, and at this year to be at an all-time high, was the feeling of, dem- of depression, anxiety, and suicide on the campus of, of the University of Kentucky. Now understand and know that when we lose sight of purpose, when we lose sight of treasure, when we lose sight of worth and value, anxiety, depression, and thoughts of suicide are the natural occurrences to where our human thoughts go. So think through this clearly with me. Because here's what Jesus does. He leaves us with some options. Don't you like options? You like options? Anybody like options in here? I do. Now, too many of them are polarizing, right? I like to go to the restaurant that just serves like five really good things. You get a menu that's 50 pages long and you start looking through it and you're there for a long time. Jesus gives us options, but there are only two in this case. So Jesus calls us to think before we act. Notice some of the progression of thought here as he's doing this, okay? Jesus is explaining to the reader that you have an option of choosing what is the best. 
that you have an option of choosing living for yourself, that you can't serve God and yourself at the same time, that you actually have to serve one or the other. And he says, if you serve yourself, this is what it's going to look like. And then he says, if you serve God, then this is what it's going to look like. I love it when he does that in scripture. Because this is actually helping us with the developmental process of our own. If you're big into psychology, which I know a few of you are, you know this terminology. It's called formal operational thinking. Formal operational thinking is a developmental aspect where you and I can sit down and see a choice that we're about to make. And we can figure out which one is going to be the best choice by reasoning through all the different outcomes. You guys probably do this every day and don't even really think about it. You just kind of go with it. Like, which is the best route to work? Well, any other route that leaves you from not going on Nicholasville Road is the best route to work, right? You do that sort of naturally, okay? But others, I think, need to develop this in our faith, and Jesus helps us do this. Which one's going to be the right one? Which one's going to be the best one? And he helps you pull all of this out because he's given you the insight about what it looks like to live life this way. The next thing looks like this, that when you are changed by Christ, your ambitions are also changed. I think of the gospel writer in John, in, in John, verse three, or John chapter 3, verse 30, when he says that he must increase and I must decrease. This is John speaking about Jesus himself, right? But he says, look, the Lord's got to increase in my life. I'm the one that needs to die to self every single day. And Paul even goes further with that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are all a new creation and these old things have passed away. So our ambitions are replaced and they're changed by something even greater. The next thing is this, is that you can easily be led astray from this idea. I thought this was kind of interesting to pilfer through the Old Testament and look where the warnings were. Most of the warnings for the Israelite people came from a guy by the name of Moses. And he writes these couple of things in Deuteronomy. And I left you the verses there. You can you know, certainly go back and hang out there if you like. But left you the verses here where he records a couple of warnings that when you look to the heavens and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the array of heaven, do not be led astray to bow down and worship them. The Lord your God has provided them for all people everywhere under heaven. That's Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 19. If you skip ahead to chapter 30, you're going to find this in verses 16 and 17. That for I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow down to other gods and worship them, then this is going to be some bad news, right? So now, another thing I noticed about this, is that yes, these are warnings for us all to keep our eyes focused on the prize that we are so easily led astray that not only does Moses say this, but Jesus actually quotes more from the book of Deuteronomy than he does any other book in the Old Testament. And why is that? Because I think Moses has some practical wisdom here for us, even in this case, when we're talking about abandoning emptiness to accept ambitious hope. He says, look, be careful. Point number two is this, that new ambition must exist in a different quality of righteousness. And this comes from a story in the book of Acts, chapter 8. Maybe you'll notice it if I talk about the story a little bit. It's from Simon. When Simon, who is a sorcerer, asked for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it it goes through a couple of twists and turns, but let me read these verses to you so you can kind of get the full effect here. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him for the least of them or from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, this man is called the great, and, the great power of God. 
They were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had welcomed God's message, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this... Give me this power too, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you, because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter, because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Please pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Then, after they had testified and spoke the message of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, evangelizing many villages of the Samaritans. The new ambition, I think, takes on a different quality of righteousness. You you see here in the story of Simon, where first he was a sorcerer, then he becomes... you know, at least attached to Jesus by accepting his salvation, but still misunderstanding and misconstruing the idea of God's giftedness. Saying, wait a minute, if you give this to me, then there's maybe some profit to be made. And profit doesn't always need to be tangible. Profit can also be in the social margins as well. Maybe I will be looked at as a person of power. Maybe I will be looked at finally as a person of influence if I have this from you guys. So... Beware of this. The next one says this, that when your eyes are removed from the kingdom of God, your ambition turns to self. Just like Simon, who gave his life to Christ, but then first sought some selfish gain. He wanted the Holy Spirit for signs and wonders not to walk with God. I think sometimes we get caught in our prayer life doing these same things. God, if you'll give me this, then I'll be able to take your gospel to unknown places. Or God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll take the gospel to work. Or, or God, if you'll, you'll make this gift contingent upon this, then I'll serve you and do all those different things. Brothers and sisters, be careful. Be careful what you ask the Lord for in terms of righteousness because I think motives are everything. I wish I could tell you that this was an isolated incident in Scripture where we find just one person taking their eyes off of Christ and looking at their circumstances and thinking, man, I can do better than this or I can you know, go with this. But if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, you're going to find a different story. But the different story here still has the same effect. This is a story that's going to be familiar to you. I'm not going to read it verse for verse, but I do want you to know what what we're talking about. The Apostle Peter, this is an all too familiar time when Peter has been asked, along with the rest of the apostles, to get in the boat and to go across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus stays back. This is after he's fed the 5,000 people. He said, look, just you guys go ahead. I'll catch up with you in, in just a, in a few. No, no big deal. Well, a storm breaks out on the Sea of Galilee that's tossing this ship around like crazy. Everyone's freaking out. And all of a sudden, they look up and see Jesus walking on these waves, walking on this water, right? 
and Peter, who's quite possibly one of my favorite apostles. He's the one, the guy that looks at situations and says, you know what, God can handle this, and really doesn't even think first and just kind of act. And in some cases, I wish we did a lot less thinking and a lot more acting. In this case, I'm kind of glad I kind of identify with Peter because what did he do? You know the story. He jumps out of the boat, right? And takes off walking towards Jesus. All the rest of the, the disciples, the apostles are sitting there watching this thing being like, this is crazy. Not only do we see Jesus walking, but then here goes Peter. And then as Peter notices the height of the waves, as his face gets hit by the spray of the sea, and he feels the power of the wind whipping back and forth, suddenly he starts to think. Because he takes his eyes off of the Lord. Takes his eyes off of purpose, off of hope, off of the ambitious idea of following Christ. And you see what happens. He sinks. Our circumstances do not become our focus. That's when we tend to drift. So here's the next thing I found. And as we're thinking through this a little bit deeper, we have, we have an American dream that's still out there. And I don't know how well you know, much, how much you know about the American dream. It's sort of been renewed lately as economies kind of, you know, starting to come back around and other things are, are starting to work together. Um, we struggle with this as an American society. And I think probably more as a Lexingtonian society than any other, any other area that I've lived in personally. We struggle with this idea, the idea of the American dream kind of shifting to not only do I want what, what other people have, but I want specifically what my neighbors have. My ambition guides me to their treasure. My ambition guides me to, what, to the friends that they have, to the social structures they run around in, to the school that their kids go to. And it's interesting to see the morphing of the American dream because used to the American dream was this, that you would raise a family, that you would live honorably, and that your purpose would be to follow the Lord. That used to be the American dream, right? To have freedom to do so, to have all those different ideas. It shifted a little bit. And it used to be that. Now it moved a little bit into the idea of exclusive materialism, where now I want this brand new vehicle that my neighbor down the street got. Or man, you know, my friend at work just got a promotion, and I should be chasing after promotions like that. Or all of these different things start really pushing in on life. And if we're not careful, we can spiritualize this so fast. That man, if I had that promotion, then I could give more to this. Or if I had that promotion, then I could really bless someone. If I had that new car, I would go pick up people from church. I would do all these different things if we're not very, very careful. To understand, wanting what someone else has can be dangerous. Look at the next one. I think this is also kind of carrying with this idea. Is that just because it's spiritualized doesn't make it spiritual or godly. God, if I had a bigger house, I could entertain more people. I could share the gospel with so many more if I just had a bigger house. Or Lord, if my boat was 38 foot long instead of 35 foot long, I could get at least six more people on that thing. You know, to teach them about the idea of Jesus on the water. I know you think this sounds really funny. You know, a couple of you are chuckling. Others of you are just kind of looking at me like I just grew another head. But I promise, this is an idea that we battle a lot in our area. And I think God has something to say about that because motives here mean everything. What's your motives for a spiritual resolution of any kind? Because I know probably some of you have thought this year is the year that I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. Anybody else been there where you've done that before, maybe in a past year? And usually about the time you get to Leviticus, everything starts to grind to a halt, doesn't it? Because, man, we love Genesis. We see the story of the beginning. We, we love you know, leading up to that and finding out all the other information about how God grew his people. But then when we get to Leviticus, we find out all the different things that are supposed to be done right and all the th- different things that have done, been done wrong. And here's what we have to do to atone for all those things. And you and I, when we read through that, we think, man, 
this must have been exhausting for them to keep up with. And I would say, praise the Lord that we don't have to keep up with that today. Praise the Lord that grace covers those things. Praise the Lord that that Jesus was a part of this plan in Leviticus, right, to atone for all. Praise God for those things. But I know we've all been there where we've done something like that. Understand and know that I think spiritual ambitions have to come from the right spot. That God, if you want me to read through the, the Bible in a year, I'll gladly do that. But understand and know that I want it to be for your glory and not mine in a social circle. That, Lord, I want, if that's the case, and I want to be so familiar with your word that it's always on my mind so I can bring up your gospel in conversations because the gospel doesn't just start in the New Testament, everyone. The gospel is all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. Every single word is dripping with the story of the Lord. So if your motives are right, I think spiritual goals are good things. Point number three looks like this. A new ambition carries the reality of abandoning other ambitions. Now go to Luke chapter 9 for me. Verses 57 through 62. If you're still moving around in your Bible, we're going to land there for a few minutes. Because I think new ambition does have to do something for you. If we are creating a a resolution of some kind spiritually, it has to change something or even abandon something that was in your past in order for you to achieve it. it. I've heard it said a little bit differently this way. I've heard it said, if you want something you've never had, you've got to be willing to do something you've never done. If you want something you've never had, you've got to be willing to do something you've never done. So if we want ultimate peace from the Lord, what are we going to do differently this year? Well, I find this story in Luke chapter 9. And it's about Jesus. And he has three different conversations, really quick, really brief, with three different people, all with similar answers. Follow along with me. He says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this conversation is a brief one in Scripture, and there's not a whole lot of thorough explanation as to, to, as to this, but there are three different interactions, three very similar replies. Watch this, if you will. I believe we have a slide for this on the screen, okay? The first one is this. First guy says, I'll follow you no matter what. And Jesus obviously knows something about this person and knows something about what they're really looking for because he ultimately said this, if you follow me, here's what you need to know. You need to know that I don't really have a place to live. I don't have a place to lay my own head. So understand when you say I will follow you, this is what it's going to cost you. Preacher comforts that you probably already have may need to be left behind. The second person says the same thing. I will follow you, but first let me go honor a tradition first. Let me take care of this because there's someone that's passed away and I need to do this. Jesus said, look, even following me, your traditions may have to go out the window. The third one says, I'll follow you, of course, but let me first honor my family and go back and at least say goodbye. But he says, look, maybe sometimes doing something contrary to the family unit may be asked of you in terms of following the Lord. Now, God's big on family. Let me be very quick to to kind of rebut that and pull that back together. He's very positive, pro-family, but there may be a time in which God calls you to do something a little bit different than that. And I hope that we're all ready. Because all of this contributes to the idea of value. 
Because I think value is a big idea in the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about what God values the most? That's the next point that we're going to look at, about what God really values. Because what is going to be the most valuable thing you do this year? Could it be finishing your education? Maybe you're, you're getting married. Maybe there's a promotion you're chasing. Maybe there's a vacation you want to take your family on. Or maybe there's a new purchase that you've been longing for and waiting for. Is that really going to bring value to this year? Because the Lord sees value not in stuff, but in you. I just kind of retraced some steps from what God said and from the Old Testament back up to where we are. And a couple of things I found just closely related to value was this, was that you were given the image of God at creation. That this image of God was given to you as you were put together in your mother's womb, that God was right there. That's how valuable you are, right? That he knows the numbers of hairs on your head or in some cases lack thereof, right? He knows all of those, uh, the number of days that you are going to live. He knows all of those. But even beyond him knowing you, what did he do? He sent the prince of heaven to die for you in your place where you and I should have been on that cross paying for all of those sins. Sent the prince of heaven, the one that sat at his right hand to go die this gruesome death so that we could actually know him. Not that he didn't know us, but that we could know him. So how valuable are you to God? I would say one of the most valuable things you are. But chances are you probably already knew this, that perhaps that's already where your state of mind's been. Yes, I understand that. But what about this? What about how valuable is the Lord to you? That's really the bigger question. As we talk about resolutions and things we want to do with our spiritual life and what's coming down the pipe in 2019, how valuable is the Lord to you? How much is it worth? Is following Jesus, should it be one of the things that we would give absolutely everything for in order to do? Would we sacrifice it all in order to say, yes, Jesus, whatever it takes, wherever you need to lead us, I will go. If that means it sacrifices my own reputation at the work that I have or that the things that I do in order to proclaim you, I will do it. If that means entering into a brand new circle of friends so that the gospel can be shared, I will do it. If it means starting a home group Bible study, that, that yes, I will do it. If it means jumping into a thrive group later on to learn even more about your word and fellowship with other believers, I'm going to do that, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do in following Christ. As I think the gospel asks us to give up everything that we think that has value in order to gain everything that we don't deserve. So how do I know this story to be true? Well, the final point I have for you is the rich young ruler. And you know this story, but if you want to go there, it's in Mark chapter 10, the version I'm going to read to you, verse 17 through 22. This rich young ruler is a guy that did seemingly have everything, right? And I noticed a few things as I read through the story again, because we always have an idea of what the stories are, but it's different when we jump into scripture and let God's word pour into our hearts. So let me read this to you. This is he was setting out on a journey and this, this he being Jesus, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one. God. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, lack one thing, go 
Sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. I wonder, is God calling you to do something like this? Maybe not give up everything you have, but maybe give up the one thing you've been holding on to all of 2018 to finally let go and feel the joy of the Father. And that could be just about anything. But I wonder if God's doing that for you right now. What about you and your resolutions? Here's some ideas as we think about some takeaways for you, okay? First of all, if you're not doing this already, I would implore you, encourage you, that you need to follow Jesus first. So some of you may be in here and you've, you've never considered the idea of becoming a believer, becoming a Christian, or maybe even know what that really means, but God's drawing your heart to do so because you know the life the way that you've been living has not been working. That you can try and try and try, but it's just not working out. And I'm not saying everything will if you become a believer. What I am saying is this, that you'll have one thing squared away for sure, that you'll have a relationship with Christ. That's a big deal. But if you could maybe start there. Or maybe others of you need to circle back around to the idea of following Jesus. Maybe you started 2018 in a really great fashion, but you didn't end very well. Maybe now's the time for you to restart and get back to that same notion. Number two, I think your new year needs new ambition from the Lord. We've reached pretty far in 2018 as believers, as a body of believers in this place. But I think God's going to call us to reach even farther. Not in our own strength, not in what we can do without it hurting, but even stretching us to become more and more like him. I think that's what he wants us to do. I think probably now more so than than ever before. So maybe we need some new ambition from the Lord. Be warned, and I hope I made this really clear, that getting sidetracked, and I use this term for a reason, is devilishly easy. This is the one thing that Satan loves to do, is take believers that are growing, take believers that are moving forward, and get you sidetracked on something super simple that get you sidetracked on something that can be easily handled if we're thinking about it in the right frame of mind. But he loves to slow us down, loves to try to confuse us, loves to do all these things. So as we prepare for an invitation this morning, I hope you're thinking in that direction. And this altar is here for you. There'll be people here that would love to pray for you. There'll be people here that would love to talk to you a little bit more if you're interested in joining the church, interested in following the Lord and believers' baptism. We'd love to talk with you about all those things. But this time is yours. And I hope you will. Finally, in 2018, abandon emptiness and embrace the ambitious hope of the gospel and the hope that God gives. Let's pray together. Father, in these moments, we are grateful for your word and grateful for the idea to to think before we act. And Lord, we are, are so thankful for what Jesus set up in the Sermon on the Mount and in following, Lord, how we do so. Lord, I pray that in these moments that we would do exactly that and abandon the emptiness, the idea that that we need to figure other things out, but then embrace the idea that you give us this ambition and hope, that we would chase after you and nothing else, that we would follow you and forsake everything else, Lord, to to achieve what you would have us to, to achieve, God. Thank you so much for these moments. May we have an awesome end of this 2018, only looking forward to an even better 2019. For it's in your name we pray, amen.